How's everybody doing? Good? Good? Me, not so much. Tore my hamstring. We have our first ever Creekside softball team. And uh, about to turn 30 years old in August. And I learned the perils of uh, growing in age. And so I'm going to sit on this stool today as I teach you guys because it's getting more and more uncomfortable. And yesterday, uh, oddly, I felt really good, and I think that's the problem today. You learn to favor things when they hurt really bad, but yesterday it felt good, and so I kind of moved around like normal except for on the stairs. And today, it feels like there's a knife in the back of my leg at all times. So I'm going to sit here, and I'm going to talk to you about the body, because today we continue our study uh, of church as, and we're looking at these four metaphors that the book of Ephesians gives about church. And uh, I'm not faking an injury, I promise, but today happens to be church as body. And it's an interesting analogy because it's the, out of the four, one that we most vividly understand. Whereas when you talk about church as a bride, some people aren't married. Some people uh, have bad marriages, and they, and they may go, I don't really understand that analogy. When we talk about church as a temple, it's a little bit hard for us to, to understand that concept because we live so far away from the Jewish temple that existed uh, in Jerusalem. When you talk about church as a family, some people have uh, dysfunctional Families, And so it's kind of a hard thing to, to really wrap your mind if you've kind of seen a bad example about family. But each of us have bodies. And each of us can understand something very clear about the body. When one part doesn't work very well, it doesn't make for very much fun. And it makes it so that the rest of the body can't do the things that it's supposed to do. Right now, I have one muscle. I don't know how many are in the whole body. But I have one muscle that has a tear in it. And it's making the rest of my body, all of it, feel like something's wrong with it. My right leg is just wearing out on me because it's the only thing getting me up the stairs right now. Uh, My back is starting to feel out of line because this thing's always straight and I can't bend it in certain ways. And uh, and I'm just feeling kind of tired because I'm doing things differently. When the body has one part that doesn't work very well, then it really causes the rest of the body to struggle, right? And we notice whenever our bodies don't work very well. And so the analogy for church really is going to make sense as we look at it. Most of you who have been around our church know this, but five and a half years ago, I was uh, was walking one day and all of a sudden my right leg started to feel tingly. And I thought, that's weird. I remember going to church the next Sunday and talking to some of you about it. And you said, well, that's probably your sciatic nerve. Don't worry about it. Went to the doctor. The doctor said, it's not your sciatic nerve, um, but I, I don't know what it is. And if it doesn't go away, then, then come back and see me again in several weeks or whatever. So I went away and my leg stopped tingling a week or so later. And so I thought, that's good. And then uh, of March in March of 2008, I was in the shower washing my hair and I felt like these two fingers were asleep. I thought, that's really strange. Uh, it it kind of felt my, like my leg had four or five months earlier, I thought, well, that's kind of strange, but no big deal. You know, fingers go to sleep and sometimes that happens. And a couple days later, that feeling spread to my whole entire body. I went to the doctor. The person there said, well, it looks like you might have multiple sclerosis. Long story short, I was diagnosed with it later. I don't think I really have it. That's a different story. Ask me about it later. But I remember that first day, 
coming back from the doctor, I went to Bridgeport, Paradise Bakery. It's called Bridge City Bakery now or something like that. And I'm sitting there and I'm researching MS because I had no idea what this would mean for the rest of my life. And it was there that I went gluten-free, sitting right in the bakery. And then I went over to Borders. And I'm talking to my dad on the phone. I can remember this quite vividly. And I'm looking at the books on MS. And I'm flipping through the pages. And it's talking about choices for mechanical wheelchairs and things like that. And I remember just this, this moment standing in borders thinking, my body's not going to work the way I want it to for the rest of my life. And it's going to be absolutely horrible. And it was this moment of fear and this moment of kind of, what if, and I don't know what to expect, and I don't know if I can handle this, and what does this mean for everything that I had planned on and everything that I wanted to do? And, and in the church, I think that we need to see kind of the connection. Because I think what we see today, if you will, kind of the American church is, is just this, this wrongness, this, this tingling, this lack of ability that is really debilitating what we are supposed to be and what God intended us to be. The book of Ephesians, this metaphor for church as a body, just comes out quite clear. We'll look at Ephesians 4, 1 through 16 today. But Ephesians 1, 22 and 23 says this, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him, this is Jesus, to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Just notice two big major things there. First of all, you see the metaphor, right? The church is supposed to be the body of Jesus. Also notice that Jesus is the head of the church. That means he is the most important part. That means he is the, the, the person who is supposed to drive what the church does and who tells the church what to do and who's supposed to be leading the church and they're supposed to be following whatever he wants. And then verse 23, really big, really important thing for us to understand is this, that the church is his body, which is supposed to be the fullness of Jesus who fills everything. The church is supposed to be Jesus' body, His fullness, everything that He represents on the world now that He resides in heaven at the right hand of the Father. This is a really, really, really big deal. I mean, people oftentimes are like, well, that Jesus guy seemed cool, but I don't really like what the church is about. That can't be true given... This analogy, if church is doing what they're supposed to be, if we are supposed to be doing, right? I mean, this says that we ought to be Jesus on this earth. That's something that sometimes we talk about, right? Like we're supposed to be His hands and feet. There's like a million different ministries that are called like hands and feet and things like that. But this passage is really saying that we, Christians, who make up the church, are to be Jesus in this world. His body and His fullness. It's a big deal. Verse uh, Ephesians 3 and 6 says this, This mystery is that through the gospel the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, as I said, but I want you to listen to this setup verse, because it's not at the end of chapter 3 what you would expect as he launches back into this metaphor. He says this, it's a prayer, For this reason i kneel before the father this is paul speaking from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name i pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that christ may dwell 
in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know that this love surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now this is like a big prayer, right? I mean, that you would be everything that God wants you to be and that you would totally know how great the love of Jesus is. And then at the beginning of chapter 4, there's a therefore. It doesn't show up in the NIV translation, but it's definitely there. And so what Paul about to say is wrapped up in all the spiritual blessings that we have in Jesus. It's wrapped up in his prayer for the greatness of God's love to be known in our lives. And it's this segue moment where he goes from this is what you have in Jesus. This is the salvation that you have. This is the promise that you have to look forward to. And now let me tell you how you ought to live your lives in light of what I have just told you for the next three chapters. And here's what he says. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Paul's a prisoner, literally, in the sense that he is sitting in a jail cell when he's writing this book. And metaphorically, in that he has given his life to Jesus in a way that no matter what Jesus wants, he does it. Paul considers himself bound for the sake of Jesus and that no matter what God calls him to do, Jesus, uh, excuse me, he will be obedient to Jesus. He says that he urges them, that he is calling them and encouraging them and giving them the example to do what he is about to say next. And then he uses the word walk. Again, it doesn't show up in the NIV translation, but this is something that we talk about a lot, right? Haven't you said things like, in Christian circles, if you don't have Christian background, then maybe this makes no sense to you. But, but if you're a Christian, you've said things like, I just want to walk closer to Jesus. You're saying like, just a closer walk with thee. People ask in Christian circles, how's your walk going, right? It's one of those like Christian secret codes. And everybody knows what Christians mean when they say that. How close are you to Jesus? Here, the NIV translates it rightly, how live a life. And so what Paul is talking about here answers that question. Like, how do I have a closer walk? This kind of language that Christians use. How do I have a closer walk with God? It's a a phrasing that Paul uses in Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. And you were dead And your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And so he says, you used to walk in accordance with what Satan wanted you to walk, but now you need to walk differently in accordance with the grace that has been given to you. Ephesians 5.2 gives us a picture of what it means. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Ephesians 5.15 and 16 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. And so Paul in our passage in Ephesians 4 is telling us how we can walk the Christian life, how we can live out 
the life that God has now given us when we have placed our faith in Him. And the way he starts is very interesting. The language is just shocking to me because I would expect, given what Christians like to say in our Christian subculture, that we need to read our Bible and pray more. I mean, if I, I mean, if Paul is writing today, given what most Christian authors say in their vagueness and their fluff, then he would say something like, you just need to spend more time reading the Bible and praying and everything will be better for you. Not what he says. Instead, he says, be humble and gentle. He says, be patient with one another. He says, to bear with one another in love. He says, to have unity with one another in the Spirit. It's all about our connection to one another. Isn't that just so counter-Christian culture in America today? I mean, most of the time, people say, I just need to read the Bible and pray more. Paul says, if you want to live out what God has called you to do, then get closer to other Christian people. It is no wonder, it is no wonder, that when we look at the Christian church today, and we see how fragmented it is, and how people just show up on Sunday mornings, go home, don't care to talk to each other, don't even really interact on Sunday mornings, have stopped going to things during the midweek, have things that are way more important to them, build community with non-Christians instead of with Christians. It is no wonder, given that state, that we see people not really living out the Christian faith. I mean, we look at the divorce rate, that always gets thrown around, and it's the same amongst Christians and non-Christians. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. And I can't help but think that maybe it's connected to the fact that we haven't listened to Paul, who says, now, okay, I'm going to tell you how to live out the Christian faith, and here it is, get closer and more connected to other people that are Christians. This idea, this mindset that we can live the Christian life alone does not, cannot work. Paul says, if you want to live out your faith, if you want to respond to the gospel of Jesus, then here's what you do. You humble yourself. You unite with others. You remember that you're connected through the same spirit. You make yourself available to them. And you make yourself a person who bears with them in love and forgives them and cares about them no matter how much they do and wrong you and how difficult it really is. Now, if you're not in your head right now kind of going, well, that's different than what I've been taught, then you're not paying attention to me. Paul is not saying simply, read your Bible and pray more. Both great things. That's not it. Paul is not just saying here, he's not saying, just stop your sins. Just, you know, get rid of them. He's saying, if you want to live out the Christian faith, get closer to other Christians. Unite with them, love them, lower yourself to take care of them. He moves on, he says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. This is a very important thing that Paul says. He says, If you are a Christian, then you are connected automatically because you have come to the same faith through the same God, by the same Spirit, into the same baptism, into the same religion, into the same faith. It's all the same. You are connected in ways that you cannot even fathom. They go beyond the physical, as we talked about last week, in family, because they are spiritual. And we all, if we call ourselves Christians, are connected to something in a supernatural, utterly powerful way. 
Because it all comes from the same God through the same Spirit, by the same blood of Jesus, into the same baptism. It's amazing. It is amazing to think about. Now, you look around church and you go, well, I don't really want to be connected that much. I mean, I don't like that person over there. And really getting connected to that person is going to take me a lot of time. And there's just a bunch of difficulties. If I start to like open up, then that open, you know, then I got to, then I put myself out there and it's, it's kind of dangerous. Not really, I don't know if I want to do that. And, and I think Paul kind of knows that, you know, maybe we have these excuses. And for them, it was like, well, they're Jewish people and we're Gentiles. And so, yeah, I'm not sure we can really work that out. There's been a lot of racism through the years. It goes both ways. Paul, I'm not sure what you know what you're asking for here. And Paul says, hey, you're all connected through the same thing. It's the same Christianity. And so put your excuses aside and become connected. Now, in this body, here's what Paul says, Ephesians 4, 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. The idea here, and I quote, the idea here is that on the other hand, it is a conjection which implies contrast at the same time referring us back to what has gone before. Paul is still expounding on how we are to preserve the unity in the bond of peace. He uses the disjunctive word, but to emphasize that his call for unity is not a call to uniformity. He is not calling for the body of Christ to be absolutely identical in every single respect with no differences at all. Unity is indeed oneness and harmony, but it is not the sameness in all cases and at all times with, without variation. Each one here refers to every single person. It's a reference to our individuality. We are not to look the same. We are not to have the same gifts, as we'll talk about in a second. We are not to have the same ideas and concepts all the time. But we are to be, despite all of that, totally united and connected. Now, he says here that Jesus has given this grace to us. When we think about grace in church circles, most often we think about the salvation that Jesus offered. The greatest picture of grace, that God in human form came to earth and he died on a cross so that we could have our sins moved because he paid the punishment and then he rose again after three days. That's the greatest picture of grace. And that's usually where our minds go. But Paul has something else in mind here. Here he's talking about spiritual Gifts, And we know that because in other places he makes it more explicit. He makes it more clear. Romans 12, 3 through 8 says this, For by the grace given to me, I say that everyone among you is not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each and according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of another, having gifts that differ according to, notice it, the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So Paul, when he says that we each have been given different portions of grace, is talking about these gifts that God gives every believer in order that they can serve the church. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11 says it also. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. You see that? The grace is the gift. 
Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Paul looks at this group of Christians and he says, You all have different gifts by the grace of God. He has equipped each of you in different ways. In our church, we just offered our first serve course. And in that course, we talked about the uniqueness of people and how God has really designed them and created them in a certain way in order that they can serve within the body of Jesus. And here Paul is saying that part of what makes us unified is that we all need each other in order to be the body of Jesus. You see, nobody is Jesus. We can't point to a person and say, you want to know what Jesus looks like? Go meet so-and-so. But God's plan is that through the diversity of gifts and the unity that those gifts have, as people are bonded through one God and one Spirit and one Savior, we collectively, the church, can be a picture of Jesus to the world as we each serve. God's plan is that when people say, I would just love to be able to talk to Jesus and meet Jesus and interact with Jesus and see what Jesus is like, then I can make a good decision about whether or not to follow him. They should be able to look at the church, even the local church, according to Paul, and be able to say, that is what Jesus is like. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11. I'm going to read this last long passage I'm going to read, but it's just so important to what Paul is saying in the passage we're looking at, Ephesians 4, and, and really uh, and the idea behind it. And here's what he says. Pay attention to these words. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them All in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. Okay, you with me? He's saying God gives each of you gifts according to His own will, not because you want it, not because you ask for it, because He wants to give it to you for whatever reason. Here it is, continuing in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 6. For just as the body is one... Just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Let me pause there. He says, just like the human body has many parts, so it is with the body of Christ, which is the church. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. 
On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greatest, the greater honor and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. Which are more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Do you see what Paul is trying to get across? We are all, if we are part of the Christian religion and are true Christians, we are all part of one body. And just as we can say, hand, I don't need you, you're not that important. We cannot say that to any other person in the body of Christ. This has just huge implications. I mean, it is just one of the most profound things that we could see in all of Scripture. It means that we must care, as Paul says, about every person in the church. We can't go, well, you're kind of weaker, you know, we can shove you aside, or, you know, we can, we can, you're not that important, and so we're going to care less if you leave, or you, you give in to sin, or whatever it might be, because we, it doesn't matter to us. We must care about every part. You see, just like I have one small muscle right now in my body that is hurt and not functioning properly and it messes with every aspect of my body, that's true in the church. When one person is not as strong as they should be, then the church cannot be as strong as God wants it to be and we cannot represent Jesus the way that He is intended. This idea of the body means that we must take care of every part. We must think of every part as indispensable. It means that you cannot think of yourself as unimportant to this church or the church. You must recognize that you have a role and you must live out that role. You cannot sit around going, well, everybody else is going to take care of it and I'm not worried about it and it's no big deal because they got it and we're functioning pretty good because we'll never represent Jesus the way that Jesus wants to be represented if you are not doing your part. The beginning of kind of the Reformation period in church history, uh, there's this interesting transformation. And uh, in the first really 1,400 years of church history, people had gotten away from this idea of every person being important within the church. And so what we see in about the 14th century is that uh, that the church really is run and done and everything happens in the church by the leaders of the church, the bishops in the city, uh, the priests, uh, the pope. And so we see kind of this transformation that takes place in the history of church. And even to the point where at one period in church history, no longer are people in the congregation allowed to take the cup in communion because there was some superstitions about it and things like that. And it wasn't, they didn't allow the congregation to take it. And in about the 14th century, what we see are a certain group of people start to say, wait a minute, the church is a body and the head of the church is Jesus and every part of that body must be functioning and must be doing something and we can't leave it up to these certain leaders to do it, but we all must take a role and do what God has called us to do and out of that came this reformation. We sit here as Protestants today and the sad reality is is that we have seen a return to just that, where we have a few paid leaders do everything in a church. But we also see that we cannot be the representation of Christ that He has called us to be 
if that is the way that we are functioning. We must again be reformed in the American church. We must take seriously once again that there's not a few powerful, trained people in a congregation who do everything, but it is every Christian person that matters in the body of Christ. We cannot cut off our pinkies and say, wow, we're going to function normal without it. It just doesn't work. Paul moves on, Ephesians 4, 8 through 10, and says this. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fulfill the whole universe. If you're like me, you're like, where did that come from? I mean, what is Paul talking about? Let me just read this quote to you. Most think it quotes Psalm 68:18 with five minor and two major changes. The two major Variations are the change for the, from the second to the third person, the change of the direction from having received gifts from men to the giving of the gifts to men. However, it is better to think that Paul was not quoting one particular verse of the psalm, but rather that he was summarizing all of Psalm 68, which has many similar words to those in Psalm 68:18. The essence of the psalm is that a military victor has the right to give gifts to those who are identified with him. Christ, having captivated sinful people by redeeming them as victor and gives them as gifts to the church. You see that? So Paul has this kind of parenthetical statement here. He says, look, Jesus earned the right to give these gifts by dying, going lower than the earth, and rising again and sitting at the right hand of the Father. And I think in it, Paul reminds us of, of why it's important to represent Jesus to the earth. Because he is the one who, who gave his life in order that we, the church, can be his body. And then in Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, he says, So Christ himself the, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become a mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And so here's the picture Paul gives us. Paul looks at us and says, this is what I've done. I've set up the church with people with certain gifts so that they can train everybody else in order that they can use their gifts. He talks about Apostles who are really starters of ministries, people that get things going. He talks about prophets who speak the will of God into people's lives and say, this is how God sees things. He talks about evangelists, those who are especially gifted at, at leading others to Christ. He talks about pastors who are there to, to lead and to guide and to encourage and edify Christian people. And he talks about teachers who are individuals that teach God's truth well. And he says, these people are there in order to train the rest of the people, to edify the rest of the people, so that the body of Christ can be built up as they serve. And here's the things that Paul sees as really the building up of the church. Unity in the faith, knowledge of the Son, and maturity. And here's what you need to recognize. If you are going to be a functional, healthy part of this body, the body of Jesus, then you need to be a person who is growing in your unity, knowledge, and maturity, and who is helping other people. That's really the key. By using your gifts, you are helping other people and the church as a whole grow in its unity in the faith, its knowledge of the Son, and its maturity. If you are not doing that, then you are a part of the body that is not functioning properly. 
You are a part of the body that is not accomplishing what God has intended for you. You are a part of the body that is causing the body not to be everything that it is supposed to be. Notice once again that Paul says that we will attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. If you are not doing your job, then this church and the church cannot be the representation of Jesus on the planet of earth that it is supposed to be. And here's what happens, Ephesians 4.14. He says, Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful speaking. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Two things that Paul says here that are so important. First of all, if the body is not functioning correctly, then we will be tossed around like waves in the sea. And that's kind of what we see in the American culture today, is it not? I mean, don't you see that in the American church today, if we are the body of Jesus, that we're just tossed around and we give in to the next newest thing and we buy whatever the world teaches us and we are no longer the pillars of truth as the book of Hebrews describes the church that we are supposed to be? Let me just give you a few things that the American church has really just given into and bought into and maybe even you believe despite the fact that it is found nowhere in Scripture. How about this one? God just wants me to be happy. Isn't that something you've heard before? People say that that are Christians like, well, God wouldn't want me to stay in this marriage because God just wants me to be happy. Well, you know, I I know that that talks, talks about the sin in the Bible, but I mean, God wants me to be happy, so I have to do it. I mean, in no way does he want me to not be happy, and so I'm just going to give in to it. That's something you've heard and something that's really just kind of become part of even the Christian culture. But that's nowhere in Scripture. God wants us to be joyful. He wants us to have joy no matter what the circumstances are. But I'm sure as Paul was getting stones thrown at him, he wasn't thinking, oh man, God just wants me to be happy. That's why he brought me here. That didn't happen, right? I'm sure as Jesus hung on the cross, that he wasn't thinking, man, good thing I'm doing this because God just wants me to be happy all the time. Scripture does not teach that. But because we are not a strong body, the wind of culture has just taken the church and it's caused people to think that. How about this? If I don't feel convicted, then it's not wrong for me to do. If I don't feel something inside of me when I do this thing, then that just means that necessarily it's not actually wrong for me to do. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible says that if it's in the Bible and it's wrong, then it's wrong to do. The Bible doesn't say that you have to feel any certain way. I'm, I've felt happy many times when I'm giving in to sin. Sometimes sin feels downright good. But in our culture, this lie has come into our churches because I believe the body of Christ here is not that strong because people aren't serving. And so people go, well, I just don't feel that guilty about it. There's no conviction inside of me, so God must not be upset about it. Not true, but we've given in to it. How about this one? It's a totally different level and different thought, but I think this guy has actually figured out when the end of the world will be. Right? I mean, don't we like think that? I mean, it was like three times in about the last year where the world was ending, and, and, and hopefully you're not one of those people who gave in, and I, I did talk about it at church, and, but I mean, hopefully you're not a person 
but but there's tons. I mean, these guys get rich. That's why they do it. Right now, if I wanted to get rich, I would stop pastoring and I'd write a book telling you when the end of the world would be. And everybody buys them all the time. It makes no sense. I would talk about like the Aztec calendar or something. And then you would all buy my book and I'd be rich. And so there's people that are giving into this. And I think it's only because the church is not in America a strong enough body that represents Jesus and causes it so that we are not tossed around by the wind and the waves of culture that says just give in to whatever you think. You see, it's important for you to serve, not just so that our church gets stronger, not just so that you're living out what God wants you to live out, but because when you don't serve, the body is weakened. And if the body is weakened enough, then no longer do we affect culture, but culture starts to affect us. And that is what we see in America today. We want to win the culture war through politics, but I think what Paul is saying here, at least alluding to, is that we win the culture war by being the strongest body we can be, and that happens as every person uses their gift to serve Jesus, to serve the head. And we all grow in unity and faith and maturity and we are the strong body that, that shows the world Jesus and makes an impact everywhere because that's what Jesus does. When Jesus lived and walked on the earth, he made a huge impact in just three short years of ministry and the church should be making an even greater impact but it won't happen until the body is functioning fully and that requires you to do something. He says, instead of that, we will speak the truth in love. The word speak the truth actually speaks not even in there. Uh, it, it, the word actually means like truthing in love, and I love that. I absolutely love the term truthing in love. It makes no sense in English. It's the truth. It's not supposed to be a verb, but apparently it can be a verb in Greek because it is. And he says, look, instead of not serving and allowing ourselves to be tossed all around the body of Jesus, we can truth in love, as we serve, and the body can become everything that it's supposed to be, and we can be the representation of Jesus on this earth as he holds it together. So here, here's, just, just to end, just to, to finish up, I, I, I look around, I look at the American church, I can't speak for churches other, other places, I know that the African church is booming, the church in China is booming, and, and I think that they have learned something and been taught something through the persecution, the difficulty that maybe we haven't, but, but, I, but I look at the American church and I see this weak picture of Jesus. It's a sad state of affairs when people consistently, this is what I always hear, I think Jesus is great but I don't like the church. We've allowed for them to say that because we are not serving the church in the way that God has called us to. And so they're right. I mean, they are right. I, I wish they weren't. I wish we could say, well, and, and we do, right? Don't we say this like, well, how dare you judge Jesus based on the church? I mean, it's your fault if you're not going to give your life to Jesus because of how I live my life. So it's your problem. That's what we say. That's our, our normal kind of, this is our response. This is what we say. We're not supposed to be Jesus. Jesus is Jesus. We're not. But according to Paul, we are Jesus. I mean, we are Jesus. And someday I believe that when we look in the face of our Savior, and we are at that judgment day, and we are seeing people sent to hell, and He's looking at us, and He's talking about our lives, He's going to go, well, they didn't see you and me. Me and you. 
both of those things probably. (laughs) They looked around for me. They desperately wanted to know what I was like. They were looking for hope and they didn't see it in the church because you were a weak body part or because you dismissed that body part and you didn't reach out to them and say, we need you. They didn't see me. They didn't know what I was like and they rejected me, not because of me, but because of you. Because you allowed for my church to be disunified. You allowed for my church to not be growing. You allowed for my church to not understand. You allowed for my church to not be mature. You allowed for my church to not be the fullness of me because you didn't do your part. So here's the deal. If If you're paying attention to Paul, then if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian person, then you need to say, I'm going to be unified to my church. I'm going to be one in heart and mind and soul and I'm going to reach out and I'm going to do my best to be as connected as I can possibly be and at the same time I'm going to realize that that connection is important because it, because I I have a different role to play than every other person and I will no longer allow I will no longer allow for our church to not represent Jesus well and I'm going to serve and here's the deal. We, we have our serve class twice a year. That's the plan. And it really helps you serve. I mean, I hope it's been helpful to those who went through it and that you understand better how God has equipped you to serve. And, and we're still working on, on really being a church that does what God has called us to do. And we'll have the next one in, in the fall. But, but until then, if you're not a person who's serving in some way, and then here's what I ask you to do. I ask you to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find ways to serve right now. I'll go have a conversation with Chad. I'll reach out to Chad and I'll say, Chad, I need to serve. What can I do? I'll go talk uh, to somebody else in the congregation about you know, what they think that, that would be important for, for kind of our congregation. I will do my best to serve in a, a non, non-official way. I'll show love to people. I'll meet with people. I'll have people over for dinner. I will... Make sure that I'm giving money to our church because that's something commanded of me in the Bible in a way that I can serve. I'll give so that this church can continue to grow and be what God wants it to be. I will do my best to find a way to help this body of Christ be what God needs it and wants it to be. His plan is that people see Jesus in us and I will do what I need to do, what is commanded of me in Scripture to make sure that that happens you don't need to go through a class you need to have a change of heart this is i'm not going to let three four five people do everything i'm going to do something i love that our church serves i do we have a wonderful serving church and i would offer that the majority of this body is functioning it's fairly healthy it's not hurting too bad and when it does hurt we take care of that part of the body and do our best to help them through the hurt so that they can recover and be what God intended them to be but we don't have the full body functioning I really believe that this next year is going to be just amazing in our church it's going to bring growth not just numerical but growth in every way I think we'll have new ministries I think we'll grow out of this building 
I think that we will start baptizing people consistently. I think that we will do things that make an impact on our culture. I think by the end of this year, our, our, our cities are going to look at us and know that we're here more and more and that, that we're doing something that matters to them. I really believe that, but it, I don't believe it if you don't step up and make it so that our entire body is functioning and representing Christ to the world. And so I ask, and Paul commands, that you say, I'm going to be connected, and I'm going to do my part so that we can represent Jesus on this earth. Will you pray with me? Lord, I, uh, God, I'm kind of just blown away as I, as I think about how bad our country has become when it comes to this metaphor. Uh, you know, there's still lots of kind of family structure in the church, and Lord will always be your bride, even even when we are uh, an unfaithful bride, we will always be your bride. And Lord, you graciously meet us in church, uh, perhaps not as powerfully as you would, or as much as we want, but you still meet us. But God, this, I'm, I'm blown away by where we have come, Lord, as, as, as Christians. And I do ask in our church that we would, we would be a church where, where people... People live out their Christian faith through service. And Lord, I pray for a reformation of the church nationally. Lord, where it's not this show that that a handful of gifted people put on, but instead it's just this body that, that functions and moves together. Because every person is a gifted person, Lord. And the show is not that important. Jesus, uh, I know there's people here who who are going to to easily, um, you know, think that's a good idea. I, I should do something about it. I should probably help in some greater way. I should probably take more seriously what I give to the church. I should probably uh, take more seriously reaching out to others and and offering care to others and all of those things. Uh, and then they'll walk out these doors and. And not do anything, Lord. But I just pray there'd be like really just a supernatural kind of conviction, God, um, that, that doesn't allow for it to go away and that, that they'd reach out and send an email, God, this week uh, to me, to Vic, to one of our leaders, God, and and we would get the ball rolling so that they can live out, God, what you have required of them what you've blessed them with the ability to do and and so that our church can be stronger god and and we can be a church that uh, that shows other churches what it can be and what it can look like Uh, lord um you know i pray this every week almost for myself and for bren i'll pray it for our congregation now if in any way we're not serving in the correct area lord if, if we're if we're a toe and we're trying to be an eyeball, um, then Lord, let us stop and let us serve in the way that you want us to serve. Now, we want to be a healthy body and a body that is functioning correctly, Lord. And Lord, it just doesn't it doesn't work to inter, interchange, God, the, the parts that you have equipped to do certain things. And so, Lord, I, I pray... Um, that, that everybody here who is serving would serve in the right place. 
And God, if you want us to do something different, even if it seems like it will have a negative effect on our church, that we would be obedient to you first. Uh, and, and you know, God, that as the pastor of this church, I, I'll do whatever it takes to have people serving the way you want. Um, it doesn't matter to me what you make this church look like because it will be much better than my plan. Jesus, uh, I, I just I pray that you would move and, and Lord, you would through the service of us, you would cause this to be a church that is unified and that is growing in our knowledge and growing in our maturity. And we would be a church, God, that is not tossed around by the the wind and the waves of culture, even the Christian subculture, God, but we would stand firm in your word and we would stand firm in you and what you have called us to and what you want from us, God, and what you've commanded us of. And Lord, I pray that as we do that, your spirit would flow and you you would bring the results that we so desperately desire. We love you, Jesus. Pray these things in your name. I'm going to ask you in just a second to come forward and, and to grab the communion cup and the bread. And when we do this, we always try to remember, this is the goal, to remember what Jesus did for us and not just to do it. And today, as we think about us and how we are to be the body of Christ, I want you to think about this. Jesus lived his life on this earth with a body and then... He said, here's my plan. I'm going to allow for my body to be beaten and crushed and then executed so that these people can have salvation. And then I will rise again and I will go to heaven and I will entrust them to be my body on the earth. It's an amazing thing that he left us this responsibility that we would be his representation. But it's an even more amazing thing what he did in order that that may happen and might happen and can happen and has happened. I mean, it is amazing that the God of the universe said, I will die for you so that you could be part of me. And so as you take communion this morning, come up and get it. I'll come back forward and lead us in the taking of it uh, after this next song. But, But as you come forward and you get it and you're holding that bread in your hands and that cup, remember how much it cost Jesus, how his body was broken, how his body was nailed to a cross so that we could be the body. Will you come forward as a church family, as a body of Christ, and grab the elements?